As I previously remarked, our experience, as we're experiencing it naturally, we call it the content of our bodies, their pains and their energies, dull or tight or overactive or restless. And the contents of our minds also, you know, powerful, dull, confusing, restless, determined, uh, sometimes sad, and so on. These be- these become the prominent <coughs> features of our experience. And naturally, we might liken this to the ocean that we need to cross over. And so, you know, some degree of calm is necessary to just to get across that ocean. Uh, of course, the idea is to get across it, <laughs> not to uh, build a house there. <laughs> uh, not to get too preoccupied or frightened or, you know, horrified or dismayed or fascinated by the content. Sense of dispassion. Just is because pragmatic. You know, we're going to get across this ocean. Uh, a degree of calm is necessary, but it's not going to get that calm. Maybe, maybe it will in patches. So the main one of the main refuges is in the Dhamma, which we can see both as the uh, the bigger sense, the order, the, the order of the cosmos, the way things are held in balance, everything affects everything else. Everything affects everything else. Our thoughts affect our bodies, our bodies affect our, our minds, and so on. We affect each other. We as humans affect every other creature on the planet, and so forth. We're in a mutually effective system. This is right view. There is the result of good deeds, good actions. There is the result of what is offered, what is sacrificed, what is given. And conversely, there's a result of unskillful deeds. And this principle goes right down to our thoughts, so mental intentions. There is a result of that, where everything is connected. And uh, we're in this, this... system that's sensitive. So, um, you know, the Buddha presenting a Dhamma, uh, the Dhamma as a, also as a series of teachings to help us get our ship across the ocean. So, whether this, our ship is a big galleon or just a little rowing boat you know it's perhaps less important than the, 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 the whether the ship or the boat is properly built properly steered properly managed and this is why many of the Dharma teachings are just about building, steering managing our ship our boat, whatever the content is, and ideally, the the uh, the skill is to create something and enough management and enough steering to manage any kind of weather, or at least to know when to just drop anchor <laughs> and let the weather blow over. This management is wisdom knowing when's the time to just stay there and step back and let the storm blow through, when's the time to move forward, when's the time to change direction, and so forth. So this is basic, this is the wisdom of practice, wisdom of bhavana, which we learn through trial and error. Often the boat gets capsized, turning up again, what went wrong? And... uh, this is, you know, you say, well, it's the wrong boat. No, it's not the wrong boat. It's just you didn't manage it properly. You have to learn. <laughs> so the various Dhamma um, 
tools the Buddha gave, and in lists of them we've got these uh, idipadas I mentioned, uh, chanda, virya, chitta, desire, motivation, application of energy, you know, vigor, and uh, jitta, awareness, and uh, vimangsa, analysis, consideration. Then you have another factors, the indriyas, sadha, faith, virya again, energy, application, sati, mindfulness, samadhi, collectedness, concentration, panya, wisdom. So we can see, then you have the enlightenment factors and so on and so on and so on. But we're not just doing a school book here. But you can see the basic principles, if you like. There's a sense of, you know, where am I going? And feeling that you're ready. Okay, that's faith. And then your energy comes, motivation, you want to get across. And if that's not there, it's not going to go, is it? (laughs) And then the, so that energy has to be applied to specific points. There's no point sitting there Oh, wish I could get across the ocean. Oh, I wish I could get across the ocean. How long will it take to get across the ocean? Can I possibly get across the ocean? I don't know if I can get across the ocean. That doesn't get you anywhere. <laughs> you know, you better just stick your paddle in the in the water and just start paddling than just stand on the dock, wondering and musing and speculating. You know, it's just a little movement. Once you get the sense you can move a little bit, oh, you know. so you're applying yourself to often quite um, modest goals like, you know, precepts, uh, sense restraint. These may seem modest, but they are, if you imagine the world in general, they are rather rare, <laughs> actually. And this is what strengthens your, your vessel, absolutely. Gives it strength. Yeah. And then the specific, and specific application how, do I, how does this body sit? Finding out where you need to put energy into your body, where you need to relax it. Checking out how does the body operate, where does it feel most steady and comfortable. It's this degree of, this is still effort, it's energy. Energy to, it's a sensitive energy, it's not a blind push. It's trying to, it still requires application of energy see, to know that. How do you moderate your energies? That takes citta, you know, awareness. It feels like this. Vimangsa, considering, deliberating. How was that? Reviewing. Now this is the way we begin to learn our craft, craft of the heart. So we can see in both these lists the quality of virya uh, is, is, is there, significant feature, and this means just it's different from effort, you know, which is vayamo, uh, but virya is just to do with energy, which could be enthusiasm, you feel, yeah, you know, rising energy, yeah, I really want to do this. It could be forceful energy, you know, no matter what, I'm going to get through it. It could be just sensitive, how is this? You know, letting, energy, letting energy accumulate so you have a resource. Like, right now I'm tired, okay, what's necessary now? You apply to get the energy source good, clean and steady, essentially is probably the best um, guide to effort, what is a steady persistence rather than just a a lunge or a blind burst, but steady, a kind of quality of effort that comes from steady energy because the effect of steady energy itself, whatever you apply it to, the steadiness of the energy, the chitta picks up the tone, steady, 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 that tone, steady, steady, steady. Steady, not stagnant, 
stagnant, stagnant, <laughs> stuck, 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 but steady. There's a certain vitality there. Interest. How's this working? Steady, persistence. And this means your boat is now going to be on an even keel, not going to be tipping over. And the course of, you know, in any uh, boat like this, must admit, must re- remember that the most Im- one of the most important features of the boat is the keel, you know, that large fin that sticks down into the water underneath the boat. Nobody ever sees it. Yeah. Without that, boat tips over. No matter how many wonderful sails you have, all kinds of splendid rigging and sails and flags on the top deck, which just gets all the attention. You don't have a keel. <laughs> goes, just flows over. So this is the, the kind of, you know, modesty of it, like just get grounded. <laughs> get that stability, you know. And so this is what we use mindfulness for. One of the, one of the qualities we use as we... For to for this function is mindfulness, which has a certain stabilizing quality. Mindfulness is given several analogies, and one is of the post that you tie the senses to, rather like six animals that run out in different directions, and you put a post in the in the ground and you drive it down deep and you tie these animals on on string or a rope or something other to the post they can they can't go very far so this is how you use your sati your mindfulness acts as a post and particularly of course you know as i said the dominant sense faculty is not the eye or the tongue but the mind mind running out running out running out running out to thoughts running out to ideas running out to plans projects strategies running out just because it likes to run out it gets used to it it's a restless monkey you know you can probably realize the effect of it you know we get the sense of time we all something this is always getting a sense of and now next there goes the bell next next and then tomorrow next what do I do next what do I do next and when I'm walking next step next 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 breath next uh, next what's next (laughs) and for mindfulness you have bear in mind there isn't a next (laughs) there's no next Uh, because that's uh, it happens it's like continuing the flow continues when it's next it's like a jump staccato jump 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 no steadiness no smoothness just so you know mindfulness one of the features of it is to establish the mind in the present and for sure things will change things won't be the same but there's none of this mental twitch mental inclination forward to the next thing towards where we think there'll be progress. Hmm. I do this a lot, I'll get better at it. Well, you'll certainly establish a pattern, but if your pattern is moving on to the next thing, that's what'll happen. Whenever, wherever you feel yourself to be, there'll be a next, <laughs> and now, on this stage, and onward to the next better, higher, longer, progress, next, stop, where are you, where's now, how does the effect of that on the, on the chitta, it's always leaning forward, it's just rest, let things unfold as they do, it's never been the case that nothing will happen, that's for sure, And so this Pachupanna, Dhamma, the, the 
aware of that, the arising, the dependent arising. Now you feel the, the tidal swell of the ocean, tidal swell. And you sense if the mindfulness is there, then you're beginning to get the understanding that maybe that ocean itself could have a flow in it that could carry you across. And the wind could carry you across. You didn't need to be pushing, you need a bit of steering, moderation, staying upright, but perhaps you could, you know, we're in a, we're in a living system, jitta, body, and maybe they could themselves have a certain direction towards harmony, clarity, out of suffering. And perhaps, yeah, we might need to apply effort to liberate this hindrance to unlock this difficulty to remove this obstacle but most of effort is about removing obstacles not about pushing forward forward happens by itself if you like to if there is a forward but realization happens by itself when one removes obstacles and we need to be sensitive to, to notice where that is, that realization, that opening, that quality of st- calm or stability or understanding that arises when we have removed obstacles. So just bear that in mind that the effort is to remove, not to push forward. It doesn't by any means mean you're just doing nothing. Hmm? That's to remove. So what mindfulness is doing, but stabilizing, it's also resisting, you know, the random input of hindering tendencies, obstacles, hindrances that are just driving the the mind round and round in circles or threatening to sink it or turn it over. So you're resisting those pressures and you're, so that's one feature of it. And you're also sensitive, the inner, you might say that another quality of mindfulness, it's also receptive to where is the skillful, where is the good quality within this ocean, the good tide, the good tide that flows on to Nibbana, where's that? It's going to begin with something like slightly more peaceful, brighter, Kusala, brighter, uh, more joyful, uh, calmer, peaceful, brighter, more joyful, clearer, these qualities. So you're looking for that qualities, those qualities, which arise whenever you sweep the hindrance away. The Buddha likened these hindrances to being, um, uh, say the mind is like a, a pond, and he says some of these hindrances are like, like this scum, an algae, on the surface of the pond, and you, so you sweep them away. But you don't, you don't throw the water out of the pond, you just sweep away the hindrances. Some are like weeds growing on the pond, choking it so you clear them away some are like um, the pond is violently turbulent boiling or bubbling so you cool it there can be stains and poisons in the pond so you filter it out all these are, you see the they always do the removal the clearing away of something from a something Obstacles that are growing on something that could be inherently clear and beautiful and worth drinking. Well, that's chitta. Another image he used was uh, of these hindrances. He says, less like someone with a, a beautiful woman or a beautiful man, you know, uh, with a 
around their neck. They got hanging a dead dog or a dead snake around their neck. This is the hindrances. It's kind of dead dog or dead snake. You get the idea. Not nice. <laughs> hanging around their neck. And they look down and say, what am I carrying this for? And they take it off. Yeah. So this is like into the hindrances. But remember, the woman is beautiful. The man is beautiful. It's just the hindrances are ugly. And we, now if we don't really get a sense of the, that there is a beautiful that's already here, buried or occluded or obscured through ignorance and through the effect of these hindering factors, which all really are based upon confusion, wrong views, distortions, wrong perspectives, and blind not noticing. If we don't really understand that the, there's an innate potential purity there, then our efforts almost are trying to take us out of the pond, to get away from ourselves, or to... Uh, yeah. And the sense of self-respect and gladness and uh, appreciation isn't there. To lift up the beautiful, to acknowledge the beautiful, the clear, the bright. Even if it's just a sparkle. And so we keep trying to refer to that, that quality. And you can do this reflecting on your own good deeds, good deeds of others. So another analogy the Buddha used, he says, you know, you, uh, if you're dealing with feeling annoyed with your other people, angry with other people, of course you can feel angry and annoyed and ashamed and disappointed with yourself and accusing and berating yourself. And it's just like someone who, who walking along a road and they see a pond and it's got a lot of weeds in it so they clear the weeds, but they always notice the good water there. And they get along and they see another pond, it's a bit smaller, it's got mildew on it. They, mm, still there's some good water there. They clear away, keep looking at the good water. Eventually you come to just a, piece, uh, a place in the track, in the muddy track, where a cow has put its hoof. They say there's only the amount of water you can put into a cow's hoof. But still you see that much. They said sometimes it's like a person it doesn't have much good in them, but they've just got enough good in them to fill the, fill the hoof of a cow. <laughs> Still, you look at that. <laughs> because if you don't, then your mind picks up the sense of annoyed, irritated, and you start getting into this obsessive, critical, disappointed, frustrated state. You need to see the good and pick it up. And... So a lot of the good, the skillful factors, again, very lavishly presented, uh, generosity, virtue, restraint, uh, gratitude, uh, respect, and so forth. Um, good qualities and right endeavor, faith, uh, all these are good qualities. Discipline, the fact that we've made commitments and so forth. These have to be sensed where in the mind is that and these qualities are not not properly experienced just as, just by naming them as an idea to try to feel the heart quality it's a little bit slower where is one's faith where is one's motivation So often one of the tools of mindfulness to, to establish this proper balance of both protecting one from the effect of the hindrances which we can unconsciously keep recreating with despair and negativity and so on. And mindfulness repels that. It also attunes to the good. Just like if you like a hand, you have the hard back of the hand, knuckles, and that defends, protects, and the soft inner surface, you know, the palm, that different quality altogether, isn't it? 
mindfulness is like a hand. So you both protect, ward off the difficult, and you also feel and sensitize to the beautiful. And so that, that nourishes. Uh, and so if we, do, if we really keep putting attention into that quality of what we're nourishing, this becomes the dominant quality that one's jitta picks up because that's what you're giving attention to and we need to get that there to keep you know, our boat properly steady in the water now mindfulness is now quite a common word mindfulness uh, in stress reduction, mindfulness, cognitive therapy, and so forth. And it often means just sort of placing your attention on something present, like a sound or a, or a touch or something. And one would say, yeah, that's okay. Um, you can have mindfulness for business, mindfulness for sport, mindfulness even in military, so you're less more stable. But samasati, right mindfulness, or complete or fulfilled mindfulness, as a Buddhist practice, meditation practice, should always include, carry with it, the qualities of right view. So, um, there is good. There is so that. So, one establishes mindfulness based upon acknowledging what is appropriate what is beautiful to place one's mindfulness on. So you could, of course, mindfully rob a bank. You can be very careful, you know, keeping Teddy calm and steady and diligent and choosing the right time to break in and move very quietly and mindfully step at a time. You could mindfully rob a bank. But with some asati, you might think, robbing a bank's not good, you know. (laughs) There will be... there will be unfortunate consequences to this. So this sense of you know, mindfulness that's samasati which includes some right view, right samasankapa, right attitude, right intention, intentions based upon goodwill, uh, compassion, uh, non-sensuality, a degree of relinquishment of the sense fields, is, so these are prior to in the Eightfold Path, Samaditi, Samasankapa come before mindfulness because they act as the, the foundation for it. You know? So we really you know, establish that quality and then based upon that we have this feature called um, Yoni Soul Manasikara or clear wise attention, what's appropriate to put, to establish the mindfulness on on now so that it gets a firm and proper basis and the simple way of of, um, you know considering Yoni Solmani Sikara is how is this affecting me what factors does it, if you like to put it more detail, what factors arise as I focus on this? Does the factor of faith arise? Does the factor of energy arise? Does the quality of, you know, you name them, goodwill arise? Or does it decline? Does the factor of goodwill decline? Does the factor of faith decline? Does the factor of energy decline? Does right view decline? Then this is not appropriate. What causes those skillful factors to to arise? Then that's where I place my mindfulness. Of course, we can. Doesn't mean we have to necessarily change, you know, where we place our attention in the body. But it maybe just adjusts how we're doing it. You know, I'm doing this without a really. a sense of confidence and faith. I'm doing this rather 
you know, dutifully, but not with not much inspiration. <laughs> okay, let's go back and try to recollect states that inspire you, gladden you, make you interested. Dwell on those, freshen up, and let's see if you can, your mind is now in a better position, better state to handle, you know, the meditation topic. So the meditation topics themselves, the themes can be relatively simple because uh, really it's, it's the themes have their values but it's how you handle them where you really learn your sati, your mindfulness. So why the Buddha, well maybe, it doesn't say, he just says mindfulness of body, he regarded as indispensable. Uh, he said all, all, all states that support wisdom flow into mindfulness of the body. One does not realize the deathless without mindfulness of the body. So these are the kind of states, um, statements he made to emphasizing it. Mindfulness of body, when it's established, is rather like someone who has a very strong door. And no matter what ball of string or mud you throw at the door, it doesn't swing open. <laughs> Whereas if the mindfulness is not established, the door just flops around in the wind. So mindfulness has strength to it. So we say, well, you know, hmm. Uh, and establishing that and I'd also suggest that mindfulness of body helps to give you something other than your personal mind state or disposition it stands slightly outside your mind so you have to learn to cooperate with the body it doesn't just do what you tell it to do it doesn't just feel comfortable without some attention it doesn't um, feel balanced without some attention. It doesn't relax its stress and tension without some careful attention to it. So it, it says, you know, you've got to listen here. Yeah. This is not just something you can do theoretically, which is all pretty easy. So particularly when we cultivate mindfulness of breathing, the sense is that the breathing will actually tell you, teach you how to be mindful because it's constantly flowing and changing. So you grip it too tight and you lose the flow of it. If you lose the flow, you don't get this calming, steadying effect. You get a certain rigidity, but you don't get the fluid, joyful effect. If it's flowing and you're with the flow of it, it's got a certain bright, joyful effect on the chitta. Chitta picks up the tone of the breathing. Not just the sensations, but the tone of it. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it's a, an energy where the breath is flowing nicely. Uh, and so for that you have to, you can't hold it too tight because then you miss that. It's certainly a little bit more sensitive to the fluidity of the breathing. And this isn't something we're necessarily that good at. We tend to hold things too tight to make them work, to, to, you know, or to feel that's the way we're mindful. We concentrate on it. But the Buddha didn't say concentrate on the breath. He said be mindful of breathing. And if you're mindful of breathing, this will clear the hindrances and samadhi will arise as a result of that. Now, the other three is we don't hold it closely enough and then the mind just <laughs> swings away on ocean tides. We go eddying around in circles, drifting, blown around by the wind. Uh, we haven't really established it. So it's quite a subtle thing to get that proper hold. And Buddha likened it to holding a, a quail, you know, a quail, a bird. If you hold it too tight, you kill it don't hold it tight enough it flies away so it's just how is that 
How do you know that? Well, essentially, you may be tuning in to how the very physicality of the body holds the breathing. It always does it very well. And you feel the, the subtle muscular qualities that occur. They're not hard, but they're definitely alive in the abdomen, the chest, the flowing, and the way that the breath starts to suffuse these, these cavities, these breath chambers, and you feel all that. And the body does it without you telling it to. So there's something that, part of the beauty of it is you can, you don't have to do it. It happens. But you do need to remove the obstacles that make it difficult, which can be you're too tense. Or you're not focused enough, you're not really feeling your body. And sometimes you don't feel your body because you're too tense. Then if you completely relax, then you drift off. So this sense of, what does it take? Practicing 10 minutes, just feeling your body. Okay, how is that? Better? Uh, Maybe stand up, do some walking. Okay, get down again, do half an hour. And so forth, just building up this sense of approaching this rather like, um, you know, um, making a, a, a model out of clay. How is that? You step back. Now the tool, principal tool of sati, some, uh, sati is vitaka, vichara. Though in this sense sometimes sati, mindfulness is divided into two qualities, sati and sampajana, sampajana rightly knowing, clearly knowing, clearly sensitive to. But vitaka, vichara, vitaka you place, you place, you place. That's what it does, it just places there. So you may use a word, you know, the end of out-breath, breath, or even the very end of the out-breath, the very end of the in-breath. So it can be, you know, it's not just breathing, which is pretty vague in some ways, but specific energy is it like right at the end of the breath because that's the bit where I don't get it that's the bit where I, my mind drifts off so how deep does that go how far down does that go what's the equality of the ending of breathing out and where does it begin and how long does it go on for when does the in- inhalation subside so you use this Pointing and notice places that you're not very good at. So you put a bit more. Oh, what's there? There, 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 there. Mm. Vichara, handling it, sampling it, sensitizing to it. How does it feel? Vichara, chara is off. Is the word chara is that associated with conduct and also with walking. <laughs> and moving around. So it's a certain flexible moving around to assess how a thing is behaving, how it's operating. So it lingers to in order to really get it all. So we place and then we linger. How is it? Mm-hmm. So vitaka, there it is. Vichara, how is it? And generally the vitaka is rather short. Vichara is longer. If you're good at And so this is the way you, you educate yourself. This is the way you educate yourself with regards to breathing in and out, or to walking up and down, or to standing, or even to reclining. How is this? What happens in this part and that part? How does it all flow together? Particularly, how does it all flow together? that's the calming effect and how is my mind held carefully and applied carefully so it's not strained but it's also not slack this is a skillful captain of the ship adjusting adjusting the the rigging or the sails or the steerage now I think it's ready Pick up the flow, 
the tide, the good tide, the good flow, the good flow. First quality of that good flow, sense of buoyant. No longer struggling. No longer there's piti, piti when it's buoyant. Ooh. Because we get a sense that what's going to happen is not just me pushing my way across the ocean, but I, but me finding a tide that will carry me across, and that's beautiful. You know, the jitta in its purity has a current that inclines towards harmony and towards peace. Pick up that tide, piti, recognizing it, joyful, fresh, it's new. It's not me again. It's not the same old me, it's a fresh current. And sukha, one feels comfortable in that. One feels comforted by it, contented with it. And these are the tidal turns that, that uh, form the current of samadhi, collectedness. Now, you know, discrimination, which we can see is described as we monksa, in some sense, analysis or uh, panya, same thing really. Panya is a broader sense. Um, this is the uh, knowing what's going on, getting a sense, and also being able to wisely assess. Now, many people have problems with judgment. So, what they're doing is they're judging themselves. And judging a self, there's generally only one verdict guilty. What are you judging? <laughs> Why do you do that? You know, something's going wrong, so you, the judgment comes around. Okay, death sentence. <laughs> Off for another punishment. Um, but so you don't direct it towards this thing called yourself, whatever that is. <laughs> but you direct it towards the factors, the dhammas that are occurring, arising in citta. So you might say, oh, the factor of joy is not present. Mm -hmm. The factor of joy is present. That's an enlightenment factor. The factor of investigation is present, or it's not present. Those that's an enlightenment factor. The quality of mindfulness now is pretty weak, or it's strong. That's an enlightenment factor. These are both, these are very important. The factor of faith is really struggling. Oh, factor of faith is strong. The you know the energy is bright and clear. The energy is floundering. The energy is feeling oppressed. So we begin to assess the factors. And well, the reason why it's it's difficult now is because this factor is absent. Yeah. So this is why these these things are good to, you know, have a background understanding of some of the theory of the Dhamma. It's there as these. This is your tool. This is your toolbox. No wonder you can't open the thing because you haven't got a screwdriver. <laughs> Where's that? Oh, all right, screwdriver. Yeah, that's what I need. So again, there are many many qualities that we could uh, helpfully remind ourselves on. I think they're repeated many times. You hear this quality of goodwill, uh, quality of careful attention, quality of mindfulness itself, of energy, idipadas, indriyas. And these are not just lists that you run through your head, but they're checkpoints where you're looking into your heart and say, well, actually, to be honest, you know, the energy's running out. You know, well, you can't just say, let there be energy. You've got to do something to restore it. Maybe it's just stand up, walk up and down, take a breath. It could be just even opening your eyes and take a long breath. Or bring your mind to something where it feels uplifted. You feel encouraged. 
reflections of the triple gem, of your own good deeds, of the skillful companions, these can all freshen you, freshen your mind up. So just bear in mind, it's not just the factors that are present that you need to notice, but also what's not here. And that's, of course, what's not here we don't, we don't know because it's not here. <laughs> you can't notice what you, what's not here. That's why it's useful to have a, some you know, list of, of qualities that you can refer to and know what they feel like. Uh-uh, that one's gone. Uh, and when it's gone, no matter me complaining about myself or feeling hopeless, that's not going to bring it back. You know, no matter no amount of self-judgment is going to bring it back. No, just you know, sinking into some emotional mood is not going to bring it back. Or that's not going to bring it there. That's going straight into the hindrances. You get your ship out of that, you know, the whirlpool. It's the, the where's the blue water? So you have to pull back. Find out where these factors can arise. That's why even our um, our meditation theme has to be something we're prepared to change. When for some reason or another, right now, it's not working. Uh, and do I need to turn my mind to another theme, pick that up, and then maybe I can return again looking at my meditation theme from a different angle. Mm. This can be quite subtle. I was talking a little bit about um, calligraphy the other day, but also I had some, you know, brief uh, uh, acquaintance with sumie painting. You know, the sumie painting where they the uh, where they just use this uh, black ink and you swash quickly uh, across a piece of often mulberry paper. It's highly absorbent. You do this. The Chinese water paint or ink paintings are done like this. And so a friend of mine, he was studying, I think he was, maybe he was in Japan or China, somewhere, how to do this. And he said, you know, the bamboo, when you do a bamboo, it's only five strokes. So he said, oh, well, if I, no, it's wrong. Master, come on, throw it away, wrong. You know, too much effort, throws it away. No, too impatient, throws it away. He could actually read his mind by looking at the, the painting. He said, here you're thinking too much, throw it away. <laughs> it's only five qualities, too much pressure, throws it away. So you can spend ten years just to get those five strokes right. Until <laughs> eventually he said, eventually what happens is the mind is emptied. And it's just, he says, the, you know, the paper asks, the ink sings, the brush dances, the bamboo arises. <laughs> and that's part of the reason for doing it. It's just the emptying out this preoccupied self, trying to get it right, thinking it's easy, thinking it's difficult, until eventually there's nothing left. You do that, I know. And so, you know, there's other thing they would do, I think they do flower, I think it's either a peony or a chrysanthemum flower with petals rising and you've got to handle the brush so you just get with one stroke you get the flow and the nice point of the petal with just one dash and you only get one chance because the paper immediately registers what you've done, if you hesitate you can see it on the paper if you're too fast you can see it on the paper if you've got too much ink on it, you'll see it on the paper. You, get it, that, you only get one chance to do it, and that's it. So you're practicing this, practicing it, practicing it, practicing it. The master comes and says, no. It looks pretty good. He says, yeah, but you, you've got to draw, get the petals which are actually turning down. You have to paint them as if they'd like to turn upwards to the clouds. 
you have to draw them, you call it cloud longing. So how do you do that? <laughs> With one stroke. So well, you just got to, you know, imagine being a petal. <laughs> and so they just do the same thing. There's this tiny, tiny change of pressure that you can see on the papers. It's that one, that's the right one. The skill, you have to really know the brush, know the ink, know the paper. The image is very simple, but all the quality is in the deep receptivity to the material that we're using and how it will actually bring forth the best result. Now here we're using our body, our breath, our attitudes, our intentions, our dumber factors, and you're trying to, you know, how do they, no, too much self in that one, throw it away. Okay? Not enough effort, throw it away. No faith in this one, throw it away, start again. Now you're getting it, now you're getting it. A little more relaxed, too relaxed, throw it away. Too tense, throw it away. <laughs> but then when you get it right, you think, ah, oh, you got it. It's as if it happened by itself. <laughs> yeah. It's because the Dhamma does it, the Dhamma factors. Uh, the Dhamma factors, uh, as, they, as they arise through our citta, it's the Dhamma factors arising through the citta that steer the boat. There's nobody on the boat. <laughs> it's the Dhamma factors that steer it. So we begin to let go of some of our preoccupations, our attitudes to ourself, our how long, why, how can I, why don't I, why should I? It goes some of these things, lighten the boat, lighten the boat. Feel what needs to be felt. Feel your body, feel your mind, bring them together. There's a stream there that you can enter into that will definitely lift and carry you. So let's take this uh, wonderful opportunity that we have for these few days. And remember, a day doesn't seem long, but that's plenty of breaths. <laughs> plenty of moments. Plenty of footsteps you can do in one day. And just, just get one or two of those, you know, just a few of those right, you'll know the real thing. And your chitta will, will learn it this way. Ah, that, that's the balance. And that's, that's a precious thing to know. So let's continue our practice this morning.